If you'll turn with me to Psalm 130, uh, that's where we are this morning. It's good to be back this week. I'll be gone again next week as Matt and I uh, continue our switch, but uh, it was good to, to be down at Faith. Uh, Matt has been a good friend uh, for a number of years now since being in this presbytery, and uh, so it's been a, a good way for us to kind of help each other out at this point um, and, and serve one another. Uh, but today we are in Psalm 130. So hear God's word for you today. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord for you today. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. Guide us direct us. Lord, I continue to pray that you would fill me with your Spirit, that I would proclaim truth, proclaim it clearly in a way that works to bring about change even now in our own hearts as we hear. Lord, give us a greater vision of you, greater fear, greater honor, greater worship, that it would change us. Lord, we need your, your Spirit to open our eyes to see these things. And so be at work for your glory and for our good and joy, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. It was probably sometime around, I don't know, 1998 or so, and uh, the Campus Crusade staff team I was on at Illinois, we went for a pre year, school year, kind of planning retreat and fun. Uh, And we went up to Lake Michigan, and one of the guys' dad had a pretty nice boat, and many of us went out on it, and some went to the dunes, and the the boat went to where the dunes were. Uh, But because the water was choppy, uh, and there was danger of sandbars and things like that, he couldn't take the boat in very far at all. So if we wanted to get up to the dunes and play with the rest of our teammates, well, the only option was to swim. And I actually didn't like that because I'm not a very good swimmer and I don't like jumping in lakes that much, uh, but I did want to go play with everyone in the dunes, so I jumped in. And a few minutes later, I realized it was a really bad idea. Uh, I wasn't doing well. It was the point where I was actually struggling to catch my breath and stay above the waves, and it was getting to be a pretty horrific experience for me. And I knew my friend Scott had jumped in before me, and he was, a, he was a phenomenal swimmer. He had actually been a lifeguard, but I couldn't see him at that point in time. So I just started yelling, yelling for help, because the, the boat was too far away for me to get back to, and there was really no way to get back on it, even if I did get to it. Thankfully, Scott heard me, and uh, he's a quick swimmer and raced right back to my side. Uh, thankfully, he didn't have to drag me in, uh, but just hearing his voice of reassurance that 
it wasn't that far that I could make it. He continued to press me on. Uh, and that, really, most importantly, that he wasn't going to leave my side. That's what gave me the strength to get in. That's what I needed. But I will tell you, that's not a good feeling to have, to feel like you're sinking down, that you might not make it out, that you might not make it to shore. It's scary. And, and maybe, as, as I recall it, the, the feeling that I recall now is worse than the actual experience, but it was still, it was still disturbing, that feeling of, of being in the depths, in distress, and, and near surrender, it's disorienting to a person. And that disorientation is really where we start with Psalm 130. This is another psalm that moves from the depths of despair to the heights of assurance. It's eight very packed verses that serve the believer to serve the church in unbelievable ways. Martin Luther referred to Psalm 30 as a Pauline psalm, basically because of the the themes and the theology that are taught within this psalm. John Owen, the great Puritan pastor and scholar, wrote 324 pages in his works on this psalm alone. Now, I wish I could have read it all. I didn't, but the portions that I read were amazing. Pure gold, just amazing to see how much they, they, they thought about this text. There's so much truth in these words that we have before us, and I I want you to know that this morning, I am barely going to scratch the surface of what's in this psalm. You, you, okay, you have much more to dig into on your own when we're done here. But prayerfully, I'm going to get to the heart of this text, and from there, you'll find yourselves on a steady climb towards the assurance of God's forgiveness, His steadfast love, and plentiful redemption that is found in His presence. So Psalm 30 is a lament. It is, in particular, one of the penitential psalms, which means that it deals with our sin. It deals with sin and confession of sin, forgiveness in the Lord. And so it it falls within the psalms of disorientation, not an orientation, not a hymn, and not reorientation, a song of thanksgiving, but disorientation. Yet, it is a psalm that ends really in the most sure-footed of places. And this is a psalm that we need. Because, folks, we need to not be afraid to lament and to learn how to lament, to learn from this. These types of psalms address our fallen reality, address our sinfulness, and that God is at work in the midst of our depths. He can be called upon and turned to and trusted in. You see, we've all experienced the not-quite-rightness of life in many different times, both from the broken and sinful world around us but also, and probably most prominently, from our own sin. We need to learn that when we find ourselves in the depths, we have a place to go. We have a God to cry out to in despair. So we begin by looking at those depths. So these first two verses. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, I think it's clear here that these depths are not the the choppy waters of Lake Michigan, but much worse. They're the depths of our own sin. Now, the imagery is certainly meant to conjure up the picture of deep and stormy waters. Psalm 69.2 uses the same word. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. 
Now, the situation there in Psalm 69 might be a bit different than what we have in Psalm 130, but the point is that that word conveys the treacherous nature of these depths, that these depths are scary, they are dangerous. So then what recourse does the psalmist have? Well, it's to cry out. It's to cry out to the Lord. There is only one that can truly help. He, the, the, the psalmist is desperate, and we see that in the repetition of ideas. Okay, this is part of reading Hebrew poetry, reading any poetry. When you see this idea repetition, I cry to you, hear my voice, be attentive, my pleas for mercy. It's all that same idea. It's desperation. It's, it's difficult when you read this to miss the serious nature of what's going on. The psalmist is at a, at, a, at a point of despondency in many ways. And in calling out in this disquieting time, the psalmist, one thing that he does is he makes it clear, as Derek Kidner wrote, that self-help is no answer in the depths of distress, however useful it may be in the shallows of self-pity. So folks, the plethora of self-help books out there and Um, mindfulness apps on your phone so you can just learn to calm down. That's not going to help in this situation. Those don't deal with the real issue. When we're dealing with sin, it's only to God that we can turn. And though for all of us, the the depths that we get into will be varied and um, entangled in, in many different ways, we have to deal with the true problem at hand. John Owen wrote this. He said, The deeps of affliction awaken the conscience to a deep sense of sin. Sin is the disease. Affliction is only a symptom of it. And in attending a cure, the disease itself is principally to be heeded. The symptom will follow or depart of itself. So what he's saying is that just addressing situational issues, the the symptoms of the disease, we don't want to, you know, we'd much rather cure something than just deal with the symptomatic things of it bodily, right? So just dealing with the symptoms won't solve or cure the problem. And the psalmist knows that he has to actually get to the core. So he cries out for mercy. He cries out for grace. And this is the life of a believer, Maybe not, uh, maybe we don't always feel these extremes, but we all sin, and the depths of our sin may well at times feel like it's about to overwhelm us. If we really wrestle with the, the darkness of our own hearts, you will likely come to a point of despair. The presence and power of sin is not eradicated in this life for the believer. Though we are saints, we are children of God, we are at the same time also a sinner. We still live in a fallen and broken world and in a fallen and broken body and spirit, though we're being renewed day by day after the image of the Father, after the image of Christ. So when we come face to face with the reality of our sin and the offense that it is to God and His holiness, our only hope, our only hope, folks, is to plead for mercy It is to discover again and again that with the Lord, there is mercy, there is grace, there is forgiveness. So look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If the Lord would keep record of, 
if he would keep account of, if he would, if he would regard our sin for a future recompense, we're all doomed. Not one of us can stand. We have absolutely no hope. We all stand guilty in our own strength, guilty in our own righteousness before the Lord. You can look at Psalm 143 too, or Psalm 14, which is quoted in Romans 3. There is no way for us to stand in our own merit. The Scriptures, and especially the New Testament, make it abundantly clear that we only stand by the gracious work of God. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, when I come to these verses in Psalm 130, they actually remind me of our larger catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 76, which asks, what is repentance unto life? So listen to this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby out of the sight and sense not only of the danger but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? You see that? And upon the apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ to such as are penitent, but with you there is forgiveness. He so grieves for and hates his sins as that he turns from them all to God, purposing and endeavoring constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience, that you may be feared. You see that catechism. This is the beauty of the catechism, for one, is, is just learning and, and teaching us through repetition, through question and answer. But it so reflects the biblical truth in this biblical text. The logic is reflected here. There is great danger in our sin, grave danger. And, and then there's this powerful three-letter word in Psalm 130. But. But. But with you there is forgiveness. Folks, that's, that's our hope. And I love how the psalmist says this. He says, with the Lord is forgiveness. With the Lord. Not from the Lord, but with Him. And the, so there's, there's an emphasis on relationship, on needing the presence of the Lord. This is who the Lord is. He is the forgiving God. He forgives for His own sake, for His own glory. Isaiah 43, 25. He forgives us in Christ to show forth His own nature, to His own righteousness. Look at Romans 3. 21 to 26. And it's only found in him. Forgiveness is only there. The text could actually be translated as, but with you there is the forgiveness. There is the only true, the only real forgiveness is found in Christ, is found in the Lord. It's the only way in that's it's the only object. God is the only object that is effective in pulling us out of our depths. And then there's a statement that is actually a bit jolting. It doesn't seem to flow. It says, that you may be feared. And I think that sounds rather strange and not quite what you would think would follow forgiveness from the Lord, if, but it's, it's actually in line with what the Scriptures teach, and it speaks not of, of a servile fear, which would have actually been diminished by forgiveness, but of reverence and, and a true relationship but I think today, if we wrote this verse, or if we sang, you know, some of the modern chorus songs sometimes, it would come out, you know, 
but with you there is forgiveness that you may be loved, that you may be praised. Those are true and right, but it's, I think it's highly doubtful that you would find a, a new song written, that with you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And you know what? I think that speaks a great deal to the current state of our society and the church. John Murray once wrote, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. In days past, it would not be uncommon to hear a Christian described as, in this way, a God-fearing person. And that made sense because people actually had a, an understanding of the nature of the fear of God and that where the fear of God was lacking, you had issues. Jeremiah 5 starting in verse 23, but this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They've turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. Folks, the reality is, is where there is proper fear of the Lord which includes an understanding of the danger of our sin, and then a proper response to that, pleading um, for the mercy and grace of God by faith, that's where hope comes for the believer. In, in Christ, in, in the Lord, holding Himself out and saying, with me there is forgiveness, and in that there is comfort. I love the description given in Acts 9.31 in regard to the church, the, the young, fledgling church there. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I would love to see us say that our church walks in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit that we as believers, that's part of our life, that we walk in the fear of the Lord, that we understand who God is, that we understand this creature and um, creator distinction, that we understand that there is a God and we are not Him. The fear of the Lord is good. It's the beginning of wisdom. It is reverence and awe and right worship and right understanding of who we are. And with it, we know where forgiveness is found. We know that it's by grace alone. We know it only comes through the Lord giving Himself for us, taking the penalty due our sin upon Himself when the Father turned His face away from Jesus on the cross and poured out all the wrath due for the sin of His children. Folks, if that thought doesn't create godly fear in us, I don't know what will. The New Covenant as it was predicted in Jeremiah 32, 40. This is what was written, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Let's pray that the Lord works the fear of Him more in our hearts. So beginning to grasp the, the, the verity of what these verses teach us is vital to our growth and our joy. If the Lord accounted our sins against us, we cannot stand but with Him there is forgiveness. Having that before us each day, each moment of the day, folks, who would ever want to turn from that God? 
Who would ever want to run away from him? It reminds me of the time when, when Jesus, he had given some difficult sayings, and many of the, the, the larger group of disciples walked away from him. And he turned to his inner core and said, do you want to go away also? And I love the answer. John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Folks, to whom shall we go? There is no one else to go to. It is in him alone that we have the words of eternal life. So he's the one we wait upon. Look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. Do you hear something here? The desperation has dissipated, hasn't it? It's not, it's not in these verses. If you picked off and just started the psalm here, you, you don't notice the depths. Something's changed. And I think this also helps us to see that the fear of the Lord that's being talked about is not that servile fear. It's dealing with relationship. It's dealing with wanting to wait on the Lord, to be with the Lord, to experience His presence. And if we had time to consider His infinite glories, His excellencies, we would only gain more and more reason to wait upon Him in any and every condition we would ever find ourselves. And also notice that it says, we wait upon Him. John Owen addressed this. He said, it is not grace, mercy, or relief absolutely considered, but the God of all grace and help that is the full, adequate object of the soul's waiting and expectation. Folks, I think part of growth in grace as a believer is longing more and more and waiting upon God Himself and not on what God gives us. Does that make sense? It's waiting upon Him. It's seeking Him and not the fringe benefits of being with Him, but it's actually seeking Him, that our chief desire is to be with the Lord. Because, folks, we don't just need forgiveness. We need Him. It's His presence, His nearness that is our good, Psalm 73, 25. And the, the psalmist here gives us encouragement to wait upon the Lord because of the word of His promise, the, the promises contained in His word, His covenant of grace. Calvin expressed this well. He said, were these promises taken away, our hearts would fail and be overwhelmed with despair. Our being contented with the word of God alone affords a genuine proof of our hope. When a man embracing the word becomes assured of having his welfare attended to by God, this assurance will be the mother of waiting or patience. So he says, our being contented with the Word of God alone. That means a couple things. It means you have to know what's in here, and you have to trust what's in here. And folks, everything that's in here is good. It's written for our instruction and our encouragement and hope, and everything in here is, it's, it's the true Word of God. Believe it. Rest in it. It is the mother of our waiting. It is the strength behind our patience. Knowing the Word, knowing the Word made flesh will enliven our ability to wait. We'll wait through whatever circumstances when we know the depths, to the very depths of our being, 
the promises of God. And the psalmist gives an interesting comparison here. He says that he, he waits more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Now, all a watchman can do is wait. Have you ever, staying up all night long, made day come quicker? No. No, you can't. You cannot make it come quicker. And so, but, but yet, in doing so, there's trust that the morning will come. And there's trust in our waiting that the Lord will work all things for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. We wait upon Him. We trust in Him. We can't force it to come, but we wait upon Him, trusting in Him. And this picture of waiting for the Lord, is, it's, it's throughout Scripture. Psalm 33, starting in verse 20, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him. Not, not in everything He gives, but our heart is glad in Him, because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Again, that object of waiting is the Lord Himself. We're glad in Him, we trust and fear Him, and we long for His steadfast love to be upon us. And so that moves us to the final two verses of the psalm. As the author ushers a, a call to the nation, to the people of God, this shows just how far from the depths the psalmist has come by the gracious work of God. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. So the psalmist calls them to hope in the Lord, but why? Why does he do that? The answer is just undiluted goodness for us. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. When you have the Lord... What comes with him are these things. Steadfast love, the chesed of the Lord, his goodness, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, and plentiful redemption. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Plentiful redemption. We all, we all know what scarcity is like, right? We can remember back to the toilet paper dis despair of 2020. So we know what scarcity is like. We know what it's like to not have something or to worry about it. There is no worrying about the redemption of the Lord. It is plentiful. It is full and abundant. John 10, 10, the Lord came that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full, have it plentifully. Now, how does he provide that for us? Well, by Christ laying down his life for the sheep by giving his life to redeem Israel, the Israel of God, from all her iniquities. So many places you can go there. John 10, Ephesians 1, 7, Titus 2, 11 to 14, and on and on. And so, folks, we are called to hope. We're called to wait upon the Lord, to take refuge in him, and to, to rest there, to rest in him. When Hebrews speaks of the anchor of our souls, this is it. So this text is a lament, and a lament is there for us to sing. But a lament has also been the song of our Lord. He has sung the laments well before we ever would. Hebrews 5, 7, 
In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And then we probably all know Matthew 27. It's a reference to Psalm 22. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew the laments. He sang the laments for us, and he knew the faithfulness of the Father. And he rested in the faithfulness of God. Through the darkest of moments, beyond what we will ever experience, he actually could cry out, why have you forsaken me, so that we never have to. So the believer will never have to utter the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Christ uttered it for us and in our place. The laments are wonderful. In general, they begin in pain and distress and they end with praise. They don't hang out in those depths but they come to a resurrection. As Christ didn't hang out in the depths, he didn't remain dead. He rose from the dead, and he lives and he reigns forever and ever. So this text calls us, calls us to rest in the promises of the Word of God. The psalm calls us to fear the Lord, to understand the nature of our sin and the miracle of forgiveness. It calls us to wait. And folks, why wouldn't we wait on such a God? When we know Him, we know the truth of His Word, when we know the promises of His Word, why wouldn't we wait? And it calls us to hope. And it gives us hope. Because listen, the word with is beautiful here. Because with the Lord, there's forgiveness, there's steadfast love, And there is plentiful redemption. Those are his constant and grand companions that we can rest in all the days of our life from this time forth and unto eternity. Let's pray. Father, what beautiful words we have in this. What beautiful words benefits in some sense accompany you come with you lord help us to seek you to seek your presence to seek your your face and your grace because we know that that with you are these things with you is forgiveness the only place of forgiveness with you is steadfast love the only one who loves without fail And with you is plentiful redemption, which we all so desperately need. Because apart from you, we cannot stand. But in you, we stand and we boldly come to the throne of grace. We rest in the lover of our souls. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.